This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and it really is my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the farmers, the founders, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of agriculture. It is very common in conversations about the future of agriculture to talk about automation, to solve labor shortages, as well as other issues in agriculture through technology that might allow us to automate certain equipment and certain farming practices uh, that will make the future of agriculture more efficient. We have on the show today a story about automation, but more importantly than that, it's, it's really the story of an entrepreneurial journey, a journey that started just four years ago, almost to the day, uh, with an idea. I, that idea led to a successful startup and eventually, just recently, uh, to a successful exit. We have on the show Colin Hurd, who is the founder of Smart Ag. Smart Ag was founded in 2015 to solve the growing labor crisis in production agriculture. Uh, today, Smart Ag is offering aftermarket retrofit kits to automate farm equipment, as well as a platform to connect, manage, and safely operate autonomous agricultural machinery. Smart Ag's technology stack is easy to use and modular for scalability. Colin uh, has founded actually two ag companies now, Smart Ag, and then before that, a company called Agriculture Concepts. He graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in agriculture and business in 2013. Uh, his first company, Agriculture Concepts, that I mentioned, developed a revolutionary planning product called TrackFit. And after successfully growing sales of that product to over $1.5 million, Colin and Agriculture Concepts licensed the product to Yetter Manufacturing, which gave Colin the opportunity to eventually start a few months later, Smart Ag. Loved this interview because we're going to get to go end to end from idea stage, where the idea came from, how he grew uh, the company, what was challenging about all this, and then what the decision to sell to eventually Raven Industries, which announced the purchase here just in November of 2019. So really, really love this interview. If you're not from Midwest Agriculture, just a, a really quick crash course. Corn and soybeans and, and other grains are uh, harvested through a large, expensive piece of equipment called a combine, which basically goes through the field and separates that commodity, be it grain or soybean, so that it can be transported to a bin or to an elevator somewhere. Now, that combine is not designed to transport large amounts of grain. So that grain needs to somehow get from the combine onto a truck and eventually to market. And that happens through the use of a grain cart. The grain cart offloads the grain from the combine and takes it uh, usually to, to a truck uh, so that it can be trucked away um, to, to market. So essentially, uh, what Colin and his team have done is create a way to turn that grain cart driver, which is think of somebody in a tractor hauling a, a large cart <laughs> into uh, something that operates autonomously. It, it communicates with the combine to pull up next to it, offload the grain, and then take it to the road. Very, very cool stuff. And I think you're going to love this interview with Colin. I also want to give a shout out right now to the AgGrad 30 Under 30 program. Colin is one of our 30 Under 30 in the entrepreneurship category. We have just opened up nominations for next year's 
at grad 30 under 30. So if you know anybody that is just crushing it in this industry in any capacity before their 30th birthday, go to 30under30.ag and nominate them. That's 30under30.ag. Go nominate them. It'll only take you a couple minutes to submit the nomination and it will really mean the world to them. And especially if they end up on this list as, as Colin did. So give that shout out too. All right, here we go. This is my interview with Colin Hurd. You're going to love this. Stick around to the end because he's going to talk about some really, really interesting entrepreneurial perspectives if you're at all interested in owning your own business someday. But to start, he's going to tell us about sort of the path that took him from licensing his technology that he created from his first company to eventually starting SmartAg. What's interesting about kind of the path is that it all connected. So one of the things that always kind of was frustrating to me is that we could only get back about 80% of the yield that we lost due to compaction. And really the only way to keep 100% of that yield is just to prevent that compaction in the first place. And it just seemed that we had reached this point where we're using equipment that was so heavy and so large that we're just creating inefficiencies like compaction, but also other inefficiencies, just getting equipment down the road. And all of that was really centered around a bigger problem, I think, which was labor scarcity, right? So the industry had really focused on optimizing for acres per operator hour. The challenge with that is that it sort of hit this point, I think, recently of diminishing returns. So even though you're getting a bigger machine, you can do more acres per operator hour, your inefficiency just is growing so much by doing that that it seemed like the only path forward was to have a smaller, lighter weight autonomous machinery available to people. The other thing was, is that it seemed from a technological standpoint, very feasible. We'd had GPS steering systems in ag for a long time. And so it seemed like it was sort of a natural next step, but nobody was really doing it. And that was, I guess, a little bit frustrating to me that we had this technology, but we weren't really leveraging it to its full potential. There was actually a farmer up in Canada that kind of inspired me to um, really take the leap. So his name was uh, Matt Reimer. And what he did, basically taught himself how to code and then took the, the brains out of a drone, basically wired it into his tractor so he could have a autonomous grain cart, basically. He had posted all of his work in an open source community. And so... I was researching a lot of different technology and learning, trying to learn about different approaches and different ways to kind of address some of the autonomous technological challenges. And uh, I just ran across this forum. And I think a lot of other people did probably too. And, but he was really the first guy that I ever knew about who was doing something like this and kind of doing it on his own. And so to me, that was like just inspirational first and foremost, but also it was a great indication that I think that the market was beyond ready for a solution. You know, if, if a guy was willing to teach himself how to code without an engineering background to solve this problem and go through all the pain of that, then there's got to be a lot of other people that need a solution as well. Yeah. So that's kind of how it evolved, I guess, to, to smart egg. Okay. Yeah. And let's talk about smart ag. So you found this, this farmer in Canada is doing something interesting at that point. Were you looking for a new business to start and how did that talk to us about how that kind of led to the formation of smart ag? Yeah, it's kind of interesting actually, because 
I, I wasn't sure I wanted to start a new business right away. I had a good opportunity to actually go work with Yetter, it sounded like. And so I wasn't sure. But what, what kind of was like, I don't know, a little bit of the tipping point is, so I mentioned earlier the Ag Entrepreneurship Initiative at Iowa State. And so Kevin Kimley is the guy who um, is, is the chair of that. And he, you know, he teaches the classes and was very involved in helping me kind of start get some of the resources I needed to start uh, agriculture concepts. And so about the same time that I had was in this limbo zone, he came to me and he's like, Hey Colin, I've got this really great idea. It's called the egg startup engine. And basically what it, what it's meant to do is take people with an idea to sort of a, a prototype MVP stage, you know, so we want to, we want to find smart entrepreneurs that have a good idea, give them a little bit of uh, initial funding so that they can, you know, start proving a product or proving a business and then be able to raise further capital from there. <laughs> so he came to me at that time and he's like, you know, so I, I don't know if you're thinking of doing anything else or not. And I said, well, Kevin, I, you know, I really, I kind of am. How does this sound? And I kind of gave him a little bit of an idea on what I was thinking. He's like, well, this is great. You definitely should do this. I'd love if you were the first one to to come into the egg startup engine. And so I don't know if I, it was probably a few days later, a week later, I said, okay, Kevin, I'm, I'm ready. You can send the check. And <laughs> he's like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I don't have that. We don't actually have this in, it's not like in place yet. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> let's figure something out. So he found a way to get, actually it was like the Summit Ag Group back the initial investment on that. And then eventually it rolled it into the egg startup engine. But so he, he found a way to get uh, that initial capital for us. And it was not a large amount, but it was enough to get going. And that gave me just enough to really do a MVP that first year, which was 2016. Not too long after that, I met my one of my co-founders, Mark. So Mark and I started talking about this idea. He was an ag leader at the time, so we had to be a little bit careful about information, but he was pretty inspired, I think, by some of the far out thinking that I was throwing at him. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I this, this sounds really interesting. I, I don't think at the time he was very convinced that it was going to go anywhere. And then later that year, I met my other co-founder, Quincy. And Quincy was, is this sort of can do just about anything from a technical standpoint. If he doesn't know how to, he, he learns really rapidly. And so I asked if he would come on as a contractor initially to help me sort of build this system to control a grain cart tractor. And so we started working on it over the summer and had something in the field that was somewhat operational, it was very crude and rough. And he started working with me and we got it to a point where, you know, we could actually drive it around the field just with software and it would sync up to the combine and had no safety systems on it and was not reliable at all. But um, we really built that with the farmer in the field. And it was a, it was a great kind of validation of like, hey, the technology is there to do this. And there's people that can figure it out like Quincy and make it happen. And so later that year, we, we kind of showed Mark what we had done. And I think that was kind of the tipping point for him. He said, okay, this is really going to happen now. And this is exciting. It's real. So about six months later, he was able to transition from ag leader to smart ag and join the team full time and ran what became our engineering program. For other entrepreneurs out there that may be in the early, early days, and they're wondering like, should I, should this person be a co-founder or maybe just an early employee? How do you look at that? It's tough. And frankly, I didn't know that until down the line. So I think it became 
apparent to me almost about a year after Mark and Quincy were officially on the team that these guys were co-founders and that what we had accomplished just wasn't possible without them and what we needed to accomplish wouldn't be possible without them. And so, you know, part of it is when they join the company and the amount of risks that they take to do so. But then another part of it is like how big of a contribution they make to its success. And so it's tough to know that on day one, I think. And, you know, I, I probably didn't take a traditional approach to finding and naming co-founders, but I guess that's my perspective on it is that it's a little bit of both, you know, kind of the risk they take and, and, and the amount of impact that they have. That's great. And all that is with kind of your, your flagship product, the auto cart, right? System. Right. And, you know, we never set out necessarily to make per se an autonomous grain cart uh, system. The goal was to build a platform and we just kind of based off of the market felt like the, you know, applying that platform, this technology first to the grain cart was going to be the biggest opportunity. And and why, why'd you think that? A lot of it was just based off of talking to really a lot of the customers that I met, the farmers that I met through agriculture concepts and asking them sort of when they have the biggest challenge with labor, uh, what seasonally, what, when is the biggest headache and it all basically came back to harvest. So, you know, that was just seemed like the natural fit for it. Yeah. And now when you were testing this, I mean, this is, you know, combines and even, even grain cart setups, you, you know, these are, these are expensive pieces of equipment. Were you nervous that there were going to be some incidents where, you know, the grain cart accidentally ran into the combine or, you know, I mean, that would make me nervous the first time I was testing it. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up. So we did have a little bit of safe, like we had a kill switch that would stop the tractor from moving or stop it if it was moving. We had that from day one and then there's some other ways you could stop it as well, but it didn't have like a sensor on it, which which would detect stuff in front of it and stop automatically. So we were definitely nervous. And a lot of the testing that we did was basically we we kept someone in the cab the whole time in that first year. And towards the end of that year though, we were, we were pretty confident. It was working pretty well. And we said, okay, let's, let's take the person out of the cab and we want to take some video of the machine syncing up with the combine. And so, we set it all up, we tested it and push go. And there was a bug in there where it would drive really fast for about 10 seconds, or it would drive just in a straight path for about 10 seconds. And then it would walk onto a path and follow the combine. Well, the speed was set too high. And so we actually ended up, it drove right into the head of the combine, right in the back of the head of the combine. You know, it was like 300 horsepower tractor into a $70,000 draper head. (laughs) And so yeah, it didn't go off without any hitches, I guess you could say. There was there, that that was a tough moment in the company's initial history where we were kind of like, wow, is this really going to ever work? Is this worth it? And it was a pretty pretty rough day and the worst part about it was the the farmer that we were working with was I mean, he was just great to work with. Had a ton of patience. I don't know how he put up with us, but he was only about 200 acres from being done on beans and we essentially totaled his bean head, so that was, that was just tough. That was a tough, tough day. We got it resolved. I mean, we were able to get his head working well enough he could finish and then uh, actually kind of helped us validate that insurance at the time did cover unmanned vehicles. So. That's interesting. So you didn't know when you started whether the insurance was going to cover something that was utilizing your technology. Yeah, no, we really didn't 
didn't know for sure, but I guess in the process, we, we were able to test that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Have you always been engineering minded? I mean, it, you know, it seems like you've kind of gone from the kind of designing a mechanical system to designing more of it, you know, obviously this autonomous software type system. Has, have you always had sort of that engineering mindset? I don't know if it's an engineering mindset as much, you know, I, you know, I never really studied engineering. I'm not an engineer by trade or anything, but I think it's more of a mindset to find problems and then try to think of solutions for them. And, and, you know, to a degree, that's what engineering is at the end of the day, but I think that's also what good business is. And so, well, I can, I can dive into the technical stuff and understand all of that. I'm not one to be able to build it physically or through code, but, you know, I can, I can seem to understand, I guess, a lot of times what it takes to solve a certain problem, you know, just, I think it's more that than anything is just trying to trying to figure out solutions for problems. Yeah. Yeah. And your solution is a bit unique in that it takes the existing equipment a farmer would already have and makes it autonomous rather than selling a fully autonomous new unit that the farmer would have to buy with the tech. And, and most of most of us are not tech people. So maybe in layman's terms, you know, what's what's the hard part about the tech as far as developing that? What's the difficult part? There's a lot of hard parts, I think, but when we're looking specifically at driverless technology for farming, what we found is where there's really, industry had solved a lot of the problems, you know, guidance existed so we could, we could have precise uh, location in the field. You know, there's a lot of existing mapping technology that we could leverage. The really, the three big challenges for us were perception. There's just no existing perception systems that are out there in the industry. So we kind of had to start from scratch there, figure out the best way to identify what's in front of a machine reliably, and then, you know, make decisions based off of that to, to operate safely. The other thing was navigation. So, you know, we have basic navigation today where we can pull the line across a field, but we had to take that really to the next level where we could navigate through sort of a changing environment, right? So as the crop is being harvested that changes the areas that we should be able to drive in and then we're also doing it sort of ad hoc right so it's point-to-point navigation and then multiple vehicles being able to sync up together and so that that technically is a is very difficult challenge to solve and we still have ways to improve it further from where it is today even though it's you know really good and then the the last thing was kind of on the communication side so you know, cell phone, the cell phone infrastructure existed and it's useful, but it's not reliable enough really to have a scalable solution that can go into all the different environments that our customers are in. So we had to find a way to address the gaps in cell coverage. And so there was a quite a bit of engineering we had to do around and still do around how to have multiple forms of communication that we can rely on in the field and, you know, even out of the field. So I guess those were probably the three biggest technical challenges that we tried to focus on and solve. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the big news as of late, which is it was announced that that Raven Industries acquired Smart Ag and uh, now Smart Ag has become part of Raven Industries. Take us you know, a, back to as much as you can share about how that came about and your thinking on deciding to 
to sell to Raven Industries. For sure. Yeah, it actually kind of goes back really to sort of like the original thing I started talking about is like, you know, there's a lot of things in the industry that had been done already that related to autonomy and, and by folks that do them really well. Uh, some of those things are, are uh, steering systems and propulsion systems, you know, guidance for a lot of different vehicle platforms. And, and so we knew from kind of day one that we would want to partner with several people or, or you know, the right person to help us expand the platform onto new vehicles. And Raven is was one of the companies right out of the gate that we started looking at and actually began having conversations with, you know, several years ago about how we could leverage some of their um, really innovative, extremely high quality systems for steering, application control, and guidance. And um, so, you know, we knew of them, they knew of us, we kind of were able to see how they were thinking about certain things and they were able to see what we were doing and how we were thinking about things. And just kind of the more we talked, we realized that they were going to be a good a good partner at some level. We didn't really know what level at that time. And so kind of everything sort of came together this year and we started getting very serious about finding a strategic partner to work with and weren't necessarily saying that, you know, we wanted to be bought by them, but you know, in a lot of cases, that's how these things typically go. And so, you know, Raven approached us, I think it was kind of this summer and said, Hey, we'd like to really have a discussion about what a partnership looks like and what it would look like if we were to, to make an offer and buy the company. And so we were really excited to hear that. And, you know, as we continued down that road, it became more and more clear that they were the right fit for us. Part of it was, you know, their existing technology, but part of it was also the strategy that they have around autonomy is extremely exciting. You know, they have made a commitment and are investing very heavily in making autonomy a reality for farmers in solving this big challenge of labor scarcity. And, and, you know, that aligned very, very much with what we wanted to do. And so it wasn't, wasn't like we felt like, Hey, you know, if we sell the Raven, it's going to be sort of the end of the road. It really was kind of like, this is the beginning of something much bigger and we would want to be a part of that. So, yeah. Definitely. And, and how, how does, and I know it's early, I think it was just announced last week. So, but just initial impressions, how does smart ag look or feel or act differently now post acquisition? Yeah. I mean, we're still all kind of trying to just make sure we've got everything aligned and a clear path forward, which, you know, we started talking about prior to the deal closing even, but you know, the biggest thing is that we just have a lot more um, support and resources than what a traditional startup would have, you know, so we have a state-of-the-art manufacturing in Sioux Falls now where we can get a lot of testing and, and product built very rapidly and with extremely high quality that we just didn't have access to that prior. And then we also can leverage a lot of the technology that Raven has has and is bringing to the market. And so there's a lot of just tools in our toolbox now that we we really didn't have. And then, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the resources that are hard to get as a startup now are available to us. So it's, it's really exciting. 
Yeah, definitely. And I imagine for you, a big thing you were working on, at least before the acquisition and probably still now, is, is kind of go-to-market strategy. Like, what's, how are we going to get this thing in as many farmers' hands as possible? I, w- I would imagine, you know, being part of Raven now probably makes that path a lot clearer. It does to a degree, I would say. So really, there's kind of two, two paths to market for us, both of which we were exploring. One was the aftermarket path. Um, for the retrofit systems and and the, the other path was um, by, by taking this technology licensing it or or integrating it with OEMs in the market mm-hmm. and you know the aftermarket path we've we've done a lot of work on we've signed up some really great dealers uh, throughout the country and so that's that's pretty pretty well set and the Raven brings you know some additional potential dealers and some um, support with that. But the, the major thing that they can help us do a lot better is take this technology to some of their strategic OEMs and help them really build out leading autonomous solutions in their spaces as well. And so it definitely helps uh, a lot in that regard. And, and that's something that I get to work on now as a, as a Raven team member is building out those relationships, finding the best way that our technology can complement what other um, OEMs in the space are wanting to do and building some strong partnerships there. Fantastic. Well, I I was curious about, you know, there's been several stories out there about equipment manufacturers not really embracing aftermarket add-ons like yours, you know, aftermarket uh, software, you know, you've got the right to repair issues out there. How have they looked at something like this and and might this change, you know, now that you're part of a, a group like Raven, might that change now? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it sort of depends from OEM to OEM, how they look at it. I think that what Raven can bring to the table, though, is a track record of supporting supporting not just the product, but really the goals of their partner OEMs. And, you know, that's something that takes time, takes a lot of historical precedence to establish that. And, and they bring that to the table. So I think really as we're working with OEMs to adopt, you know, factory integrated type automation, there's also a lot of value to them and to, to us to be able to have an aftermarket solution for their existing equipment and and their existing customer base. It does two things. One, it helps sort of quench the, quench the thirst in the market for this technology and ensures that they remain competitive, but it also helps to a degree validate and prove things you know the best way to ensure that a product is ready to be launched at massive scale is to get it in the market at somewhat of a limited scale get it validated understand exactly you know some of the some of the challenges with it and address those early on before getting to a point where you know you have thousands of systems in the world and really that's what our focus is this year so we'll be releasing a we'll be doing a limited commercial release of aftermarket systems and and that'll go a long ways towards just validating the technology so it's prepared to go um, at at a at a larger scale excellent and I, I know Raven also announced uh, around the same time as they announced uh, the acquisition of smart ag that they took an, an ownership stake in dot which is also autonomous farming, a bit of a different approach, kind of back to my comment earlier about more of a an approach where you'd have to buy a brand new autonomous equipment mm-hmm. package. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, you know, obviously targeting the same field, autonomous farming, but kind of a different approach. Do you see the two sort of interacting? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, actually we've, we've known the guys at dot for quite some time and have talked to them prior to knowing, you know, Raven was involved about ways that we could support each other because, you know, they really are, they, they do have a very innovative platform and it's a great solution. And it's really what's cool about DOT is that from the ground up, it's, it's built for autonomy. Whereas, you know, a lot of other machines aren't. So what, what's really exciting is now we can take some of the kind of cutting edge innovative technology we've built and apply it to their, their platform, their machine in a way that takes, you know, both companies, I think forward and gives us a solution now through Raven that is really comprehensive. Like I said, really from design meant for autonomous farming. And I think there's a lot of value in that. So it's really exciting that we all get to come together. Yeah. Yeah. We, we spoke with Rob Syke on, on this podcast about DOT. This, that would have been back in episode 166 for those of you listening. If you didn't listen to that, go check that out as well. I, I just like to ask you a little bit more about the, you know, kind of taking, taking us back to the decision to sell. I, I had read that you had raised a seed round, I believe, of $5 million. And usually after that, kind of the next step would be a Series A. I, I don't know. Did you ever raise a Series A or were you kind of in the process of thinking about that when this opportunity came along? Yeah, I mean, we were definitely thinking about it. We were at a position where we knew we needed to have additional financing in place. And as we look down that road, there's, you know, really two considerations is, you know, one, what does it look like to raise more capital from outside investors versus what does it look like to, you know, be acquired, sell the company in, you know, I think we're open to both options. And frankly, I wasn't sure that we would have the ability to, to sell the company at, at that stage. You know, we hadn't, we hadn't launched a product commercially at that point yet. We had a very, uh, very good solution and it pro- the, one of the most advanced systems built, but, you know, hadn't hit the market yet. So there was always kind of a question as to, to what, what, what would the market say if, if we did, you know, if we were open to, to being acquired. And so we wanted to see that. And our, the response was, a, you know, pretty kind of surprising, but also pretty impressive for us to find that there was an appetite, especially from a company that's such a great strategic fit like Raven. So those two things combined, I think, made the made the decision pretty clear that this was this was a great opportunity for the technology that we had started for the industry and for our current investors too. And did Smart Ag or does Smart Ag have a board of directors that that officially made that final decision? Yeah. Um, so our our board is made up of myself, Harry Stein and his counsel. And so, yeah, I mean, effectively, we're all aligned in that and definitely took into consideration everything within the market and the, the, what, it would, what it would take to get additional financing and said that this was, this was a good, good decision for the company. As you look back these four years, I mean, this, I, I love this story and it's, uh, thank you so much for sharing it on, on the show because it, it really is a very, very condensed version of the ideal entrepreneurial journey. I mean, I, I, I have said on this show that I'm critical of, of some ag tech because of lack of exits. Like we haven't really seen the exits yet. And here you are, you know, you're an example that disproves my point, which, which I'm excited about. So as you look back on these four years, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is not linear, as we all know. When was it the biggest struggle for you? Or when did you start to think, Boy, I don't know if this is going to work out. Well, so 
it's a roller coaster, right? I mean, there's, there's days where you're on the top of the world and everything is, I mean, you've got phenomenal opportunity and major, major developments happen and, and everything is great and there's no end in sight. And you, you, I mean, you can go to the moon and back and then it can be literally 24 hours later where you feel like the, the ground is falling out from under your feet because what one of the things, and, and I would tell this to anybody I, I hire again in the future is that if, if you're going to work for a startup, you've got to have just, you know, guts of steel because the emotional ride that you take is, is it's drastic. So, you know, I think what's different about a startup versus a large company is that everything is just hyper compressed, right? So things happen at light speed compared to where, what a larger corporation would experience. And so, you know, it can take, it can take years for a hundred million dollar company to eventually reach a point where it's at bankruptcy. Whereas with a startup, if you make two bad decisions or a lawsuit comes out of the woodworks, you could be there within weeks. So it's just in the, the smaller you are, the earlier you are, the more fragile the company is. And so you just have to be prepared for that emotionally, spiritually, and be, be okay with taking on that level of uncertainty. So, you know, I think, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the, that's kind of the experience. And so there wasn't necessarily one moment where it was like, ah, we're not going to make it. I, I'd say there's probably hundreds of those moments and there's probably hundreds of moments too, that was like, this is, this is awesome. And, you know, it's going to, it's just going to be a great outcome. And we're really blessed that <laughs> the latter didn't come true and we were able to find a great outcome and, and find a great partner in Raven. Yeah. When I, and see if you can remember, I mean, when, how recently did you feel like you were at one of those low points of the roller coaster? Oh, I would say, I mean, probably up until the point where we had a secure offer with Raven. I mean, seriously, because once you kind of go down a route of like M&A versus fundraising, which, you know, we knew there was the support for the M&A out there, but we didn't ultimately know exactly the timing of it and who was going to come to the table. And if, if we were going to be able to find somebody who had a, the right type of a, a structure and strategy for us. And so, you know, there's, there's points along the way where different companies would come in and out of that process. And, you know, prior to Raven coming in, you know, we, we had a company opt out. And at that point it was kind of like, okay, now what do we do? I mean, we don't have, we don't have enough capital to, to go forever. So we had to make some tough decisions, but also, you know, there's just, again, that level of uncertainty all the way sort of until the deal's done. Got to be able to live with that. And how's it, how does it feel now? Does it feel now the way you thought it would at this point in the journey? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of like a, everything is different, but, you know, to a degree, nothing has changed. I mean, the, the weight is definitely, I think, collectively off of everybody's shoulders you know we're we know we're we know we're home now so to speak like we've we've made it there's not this uncertainty of are we are we going to be able to survive for another month and so that's a huge blessing and 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 you know kind of a a moment where everybody can step back and take account of the journey we've been on appreciate it and hopefully take a little bit of a respite as well so that's that's great but then you know in terms of 
other changes, it's kind of just like, you know, we, we've got the same mission. We've got the same directive. We've got a lot of other people and resources that can support us. So we're all just kind of trying to, to take account of that and move on to move on to keep the, keep the technology on track and, and do what we set out to do. Well, Colin Hurd, founder of Smart Ag and now a part of the team at Raven Industries. Congratulations on all your success. This has been such a fascinating interview, Colin. I really appreciate you opening up about all of this and really have enjoyed it and wish you continued success now as part of the Raven Industries team. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate you having me on, Tim. Thank you one more time to Colin Hurd for being on the show. I really enjoyed that interview. It gets me excited for the future of agriculture. If you know anyone impressive like Colin doing big things in agriculture, just a reminder, head over to 30under30.ag and nominate them for the AgGrad 30 Under 30. Would sure appreciate that. Also appreciate those of you who continue to leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes and all of the other podcast players. I haven't read one in a while, so here, let me go ahead and read one now. This review comes from Fun Cranium. Uh, Fun Cranium says, best ag podcast hands down. If you want to be part of the movement that will continue to innovate agriculture to provide for this world, this is a must listen. I constantly learn new ideas, companies, and keep up with the what's what for agriculture. Keep it up, Tim. Thanks, Fun Cranium. Really, really nice review there. I appreciate that. And if you are listening and haven't yet left a rating and review on your podcast player, we would sure appreciate that. It really does help people give this podcast a try and always uh, helpful to spread the word. We will be back next week with another Ag Innovator. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week. Music.